Go to work for any corporation or large company, and they'll ask you for goals for the year. Well, Christ has goals for his church, as we'll see next. Hi there, and welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Christ has goals for his church. That's right. For you and I, for the church collectively, there are things that are expected of us, goals that are to be met through and in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're focusing on today here in the book of Ephesians as our series, God's Design for Life, continues. Please join us for today's broadcast of Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Here's Pastor Phil Howard. We're in the book of Ephesians. Get there. Ephesians 4. I haven't forgot. This would be my third time to get through this passage. I'm going to do it today. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. By the way, the, the notes are in the bulletin for you. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly region? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And then we begin to pick up, I see six goals of Christ for his church in the remaining passages. Why did he give these gifts? He gave apostles, prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastor. We take it hyphen teachers, one person with a twofold function to prepare or equip the old King James said to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We want to show you an overlay here that... Uh, Let's get an appraisal of where you might be in the life of this church. By the way, we're having signups today for small group Bible studies. You're never going to get to really know this church until you get into a small group. The Sunday experience, you're going to feel lonely at times. You may enjoy the singing. You may enjoy the preaching. But to become connected, to be, have an interface with the dynamic that's found in different believers and how they can be used of God to encourage you, uh, 
to pray for you, to bear your burdens with you. Small groups is what we do, not because of any other motive, but to get you in a place where you get to know each other, care for one another, and sign-ups are going today. All kinds of great classes. Sunday night classes are going, midweek classes. You find your way to one of those classes. But we find in this church, as most churches, we've got these different circles of involvement or non-involvement. Number one, the uncommitted. Maybe you've just been here a few Sundays and uh, you don't know if you just came with a friend or maybe you've come for a while and said, um, whatever, don't know the reason. First time, whatever. Uh, But you could be in that, I'm uncommitted. I don't even know if I want to go to this church. I don't even know if I like it. Uh, I'm just, uh, I'm hunting, searching, doing whatever. And uh, we ought to be reaching out to uncommitted people in our community, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be inviting them to come with us? Uh, I wouldn't want to go to a church I couldn't invite my friends to. If it's that bad, maybe you need to find a church. Or at least you repent so it could be a better church. Or we could make whatever changes. We don't want to be a distraction. God seldom draws us to a cactus bush. He usually draws us to something that has appeal. Are you an appealing Christian or an obnoxious one? If you're obnoxious, you know, get some Rolaids and get over it. The joy of the Lord is to be our strength. We're not people without problems and pain and funerals and cancer and tragedies. But there is a joy in those who abide in this vine. They will abound in joy, unexplainable joy, even when they're imprisoned for the faith. I just read about the two girls that returned, two young ladies that were returned from uh, Afghanistan. And they tell their story. I read it in Christianity Today. It was in Newsweek. I read in Newsweek about uh, uh, Gracia Burnham and the loss of her husband. And the joy, the encouragement, uh, nothing bleak or dismal in all their captivity. Over a year running, fleeing, offering the food that was uh, got. I don't know how they got food to them, but friends and aides, they would take their food and share it with their captors. A testimony for Christ through it all. So we want to appeal to people to come. We seldom win people to our gospel until we win them to ourselves. Someone has said that. I don't know if that's totally true because the gospel saves, not Christians. But we ought to reflect the joy of that gospel. Amen? And you know, every time I've gone, the church gets quiet. So liven up. I'm back. I mean, I, I want to hear you out there, not talking to one another, but either affirming. Yeah, I read something while I was on vacation that's interesting. Applauding is horizontal. That was, that was originally invented to applaud the doers of a deed, an actor, and you applaud it. Amanning was designed to be vertical. When you amen, you're amening heaven, not the preacher. God said it, I believe it, amen. And most of our churches don't know how to amen. They grunt, they stare. You're not antiphonal, get over it. If you don't believe this stuff, find a church that doesn't believe anything. If you believe it, 
I want the visitors to hear a resounding, they believe it. Amen. That's what we're supposed to, none of this, amen. No, no, no. You'd be a lousy fan of the Raiders if that's the way he said, go get it. Win. No, enthusiasm, the devil should not have a monopoly on. We, I tell you, when you're dying, when old Carl Hatton landed in the presence of God, he's not quiet about seeing the Savior. And I take it by faith that you could add a little bit, but that's an interesting concept. Applauding started out with the horizontal praise. The church was told originally, say all men. It's what Abraham said when God said, I'm going to make you and Sarah father and mother of nations. And in the Hebrew, he said, amen, so be it. I believe it. Don't amen unless you believe it. Don't, don't just fall in with a bunch of cliches. But if I say something that the word of God says and it resonates with you, you get permission to say, amen. It's true. They won't amen me at Berkeley, but you ought to amen. Now, committed to attendance. Some of you attend and, and that's wonderful. Uh, I mean, that's really great uh, to drive here in air-conditioned cars for Jesus. I mean, that you, you do want to be here. I mean, you have a desire to meet with God's people. That's a good place to start. I attended church a long time before I wanted to because my dad was bigger. But I didn't get any credit for it. Uh, there was no points, but God saved me. Committed to membership. Our membership classes around here, we call them bases. We stole that from Rick Warren at Saddleback and run the bases, first, second, third, at home. And first base is becoming part of the membership. If you're attending this church and you're born again, and you want to get involved, you need to make a step forward to, you know, become a member. Uh, it's the entrance to service and belonging. Uh, I hope you're a member of your own family. God wants you to go public that you're a member of his family and the church is his family, right? And so uh, our first base, when you hear that language, we're not going to see the giants. We're offering our membership class. First base. Uh, then you get committed to maturity. A person that's not wanting to grow would never wind up having a ministry. And uh, we want to look at that in our message, and I'll touch that. And then you wind up in the core of the church, which is, which is the place of ministry. Are you having a ministry? Now, notice in your notes, I want you to follow me here. There's two illustrations of the church that I think are both valid. And uh, one, and I've used it for years, we're a hospital. And don't you love that idea that we're a hospital? Now you love that when you're bleeding, wounded, hurt. You get in here and your sails have been rent. You don't want to go to church to be uh, condemned, made guilty or, or stoned by the sermon. Uh, he said, boy, this is a place where I can get well. This is where I'm unconditionally accepted. This is for the place where the wounds that life has inflicted can find the bomb to heal. And I'm convinced a church ought to be such a place. 
that we don't specialize in condemning and stoning, but we specialize in pouring in the oil of love and compassion and watch people get well. That's a wonderful thing. I think it's a part of what the body of Christ is, welcoming sinners to the healing power of God. It ought to be that. But you know what? Uh, you're not supposed to be wounded forever. You're not supposed to be sick forever. You're not supposed to be uh, hospitalized, as it were, forever. I remember my dad, he said, to ever have a battle scar, you got to heal up. And too many saints stay wounded all the time. Warren Wiersbe was asked what was the number one reason, the number one spiritual problem he found in most churches. He said bitterness. Hebrews 12, and it poisons many. I'm bitter over that lost marriage. I'm bitter that God didn't heal a child. I'm bitter over this problem. I'm bitter, and they bring it to the church, and you've got these people that are running sores of bitterness. And they've never appropriated the forgiveness of God and the healing of God for their own heart to be a heart that's not bitter, but a heart that has been healed. And so you want to move from being in the hospital, the church ought to be in army barracks. Because we're told to be soldiers of the cross. Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier. You don't join up for the Marines to spend six years in sickbay. Have you ever been taught how to use the bayonet, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God? Have you ever taken on the armor of God? Have you ever made yourself available to the uh, chief of this army, the captain who says, I healed you so that I can employ you as my soldier. Oh, we're called the body of Christ. We're called the bride of Christ. But we're also soldiers and we are at war. We are at war with everything that wants to destroy your marriage, your children. We've got thousands on the street that want to turn your daughters into words you don't want to hear and want to turn your boys into drug pushers and shoot them down as Oakland says, quit killing our young men. And then we offer children's programs and we got some saints, I'll serve if I ever get over it. Get, it's only been two years. When are you going to take on the armor of service? When are you going to become engaged again in this conflict so that you're not in the hospital but you're in the barracks, ready to receive orders, ready to serve anywhere the captain wants you, ready to make a difference in a world that is going to hell quickly and a culture that is so shattered, our kids are going wild with anger. They don't like what's happening. Now let's look at six things he wants for his church. We've got the text for you on the left side. And since I've dealt with the first three, let me go quickly. He wants you to be equipped. And lest you forget that word, let me just give you the Greek meaning of it. 
It was used, I like the word, if you ever want to use it, it's kata artidso. It's kind of a nice ring to it. Kata artidso. And the word meant was used several ways. It was used of mending fishing nets. And what's the idea? The net is no good capturing the fish if it has a tear in it. So when they kata artidzoed it, they knit it back together, sewed it together, so that it could function like it was intended, so that it can do its original design. And he's saying that saints come like these products. Have you ever bought a product that says uh, you assemble it yourself? I always call one of my son-in-laws or David. You used to call David. I hate that stuff. Man, open that bag with all those screws and say, hey, friend, put it together. Well, for 50 bucks, we'll assemble. No, I'll try it. Three days later, when I put five screws in the wrong way and I read the instructions, they should have been the last one you put, and the other should have been... Pre- That's how you're born again, the family. You come, and we have to assemble you once you get saved. You say, man, I, I'm saved. I'm in the body. I don't know where I fit. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't want to... He said, I gave gifted men to equip you, to assemble you, to fix you to function like you ought to. The word was used of restoring a fallen brother, Galatians 6. Restore. You want to know why so many saints are not equipped? They've never been restored from their sin. They've never repented. They've never gotten right. They still carry the sin. And so they go for years in churches. They make preachers miserable. They make deacons miserable because they're miserable. Because they won't get well. Equip them. The word was used of training, training a person. It was used of training to prepare them. That's what our Timothy class is about. It's a class I try to train men to learn something, to be able to function and not be without skill in the body of Christ. So he says, I want every member of the body to be equipped to serve. I want them to be mended so they can function. I want them restored. Uh, I want them prepared for good works. And I ask you, are you being equipped? Is there a rent in your Christian life? Are you torn up about something and you've never been mended with that person you've been mad at for three years, but you're bitter and God has shelved you? God sees the heart You can't fight with your wife and him use you. You can't hate the brethren. You can't refuse to be made well and him ever use you because you're in sin until you go to the physician. You've got to get over it in the hands of the physician. Then he equips you and he says, now let me bring you into what I designed you for, prepared you to do. You're equipped to function. Then you go in, he wants you to be engaged in service. And uh, uh, I wanted to show you by way of uh, spiritual gifts. If, if we believe, if ever one of these gifts were in the church today, and some of you may think you have all of them, but if you, let's say you have at least one, one gift. Uh, look at what he put in the uh, beginning church. And I don't think this is a conclusive list. 
I think it's a sample of the kind of supernatural things God wanted to get done through the body. Apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists. Uh, my, I, I'm looking for anyone that smells or looks like an evangelist. Because Bible teaching churches are always fighting being ingrown. And we just sit around, let's have one more Bible study for us. And anything that's ingrown is going to die. You've got to have a burden for those outside the ark. And we always, our biggest struggle many times is to find a way to evangelize. And, but they gave gifts of evangelists. I'm named after the evangelist Philip. Acts 8, Philip the evangelist, a deacon and an evangelist. Uh, pastor teachers, people that uh, take time and you just put the baby at our steps and they're just born again. Guys that will shepherd and teach them change their diapers, give them a bottle, hoping they'll grow up and mature to be soldiers in the army. That's what pastor teaching. Now, a lot of pastors, we think it's getting along with the board all the time. Some churches, you cannot believe all the infighting. They're so busy fighting with each other, they're not doing anything God wants to get done. They're not evangelizing anybody. They're not discipling anybody. They're not caring for anybody. We're all trying to get along with one another. All oh, the church is much more than us getting along. We've got to get along to do the great commission. But we've just not been saved to go to a potluck the rest of our life. There's a dying lost world within 20 miles of us. 200,000 souls will break into eternity without Christ. And we want to be joined up with all the stuff that's just for us because we love to study our navel. We're into us. Aren't we wonderful? Oh, huh. I know me. I'd say it's hard to keep a mirror in my life. Have you noticed you get uglier the older you get? And gravity is doing a job on your face you don't want to admit? Let's not be into ourselves. Look at this evangelism, pastor, teaching. But by the way, there's so much ignorance and so many young believers, who's going to teach? All? If God saved 200 people right now, put them in this church, who would disciple them? Who would take time to teach them the ropes in the Christian life? How to have a quiet time? How to find the books of the Bible? Real simple stuff. But somebody needs to lead them in that path. Exhorting. Oh, exhorters are the motivators, the encouragers. Uh, it might be my primary gift. I have enough people say that. I'll keep it. I want it. I don't want to discourage God's people. I want to motivate them. I want to tell them, let's go for it. I'm tired of people who claim truth they never practice. Let's get it into action. If you believe it, are we doing it? That's why you don't like to be around exhorters. I love exhorters. Swindoll's an exhorter. Howard Hendricks, they always said, do it, do it. Don't tell us you went to Dallas, do it. Don't tell us you got these degrees, do it. Don't teach on prayer, pray. Don't talk about it, do it. I love those kinds of people in my own life. After I get over being mad at them, they are used of God. <laughs> to stimulate me to be what I would not ordinarily be. They're great. Uh, word of wisdom uh, and word of knowledge. People have the gift of tongues. 
languages, as I understand it. Not gibberish, but languages. And look at Acts 2. They understood the language. Interpretation. Gift of ministry. Uh, just service of any kind. Giving. Give beyond the norm. Administration. Uh, help us to oversee it, how to get there. Organize. Steps. Mercy. Just looking for somebody bad off so they can be good to them. On and on. It's just a sample. And you've got one of these gifts as a believer. And God wants you to display it. Pastor Phil Howard here in our series, God's Design for Life. Getting a clue, an understanding, an idea of just how much God really loves us and the design that he has for your life and mine. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, and as we conclude our time together today, we're mindful of the fact that there might be those of you who would enjoy hearing this program again. As always, we have copies available on CD. Simply call or write to us or stop by our website. You can reach us by phone at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or stop by our website, truthfortodayradio.org. As you contact us, please bear in mind that we do continue this radio broadcast here on this station through the generous support of Truth For Today sustainers, folks just like you. With your dollars, as you partner with us financially, we'll provide to you, as our way of saying thanks, a quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional. It's all available for you as you partner with us financially. For more information, give us a call. Our phone number, once again, is 855-833-9864. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Truth For Today.